Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Afternoon and welcome to a Thursday night BAMS radio. I am actually your producer, but I host at times. Uh, I'm Thomas Watts. Good to hear from you. I, we're waiting for Terry Clark to join us, but I have Drew the Armand with us. Drew, how you doing this evening? Good, Thomas. How you doing? It's been a, a tough week to be a Bama fan, but uh, we got <laughs> everything happens for a reason. Got to stay strong, and again. Uh, Nick Saban is still the football coach at Alabama, and uh, there, there's a lot of programs that would wish they were where Alabama was. But, again, had a little bit of rough luck on the basketball end, but that could still turn out for the best. We'll just have to wait and see. Just a little bit heartbreaking when you can taste something, and it's on the tip of your tongue, and it gets kind of taken away at the last second. Absolutely. I think before the show, you and I were talking, or we were all talking, Carrie as well, in our little back chat text message, this has been just about the worst 10 days of fame athletics that I can remember. Now, I realize I'm only 28, but, <laughs> right. I mean, this has been brutal with the Greg Marshall thing, which is more, it's not – I'm not trying to equate the troubles on the football field, the legal troubles on the football field with losing Greg Marshall. But I will say that the combination of everything is just made for a bad week. But – you know, you mentioned Greg Marshall. Can you bring our listeners up to speed about what was going on? I mean, you said, and I agree with you, I think the Alabama Nation could taste Marshall, and then it kind of blew up. So could you help us out on that one? Yeah, I, I can help out. I mean, I think it was Bill Battle thought he had Greg Marshall. I think there had been a lot of back-channel conversation with the agent. I think he was very interested in the position. Um, I think Bill Battle made as significant a financial offer as you could make. I've heard anywhere from 4.2 to 4.9 million per year at, you know, after reported. incentives. Yeah, that was reported almost universally this afternoon. It would have been yeah, like, and it's just crazy numbers. Yeah, so it would have been top five in the country. Uh, the staff, I'd heard the staff budget was two million a year. Uh, you know, everything he needed, he was going to get. Uh, he, he did not insist on a new facility, but I think that would have been uh, promised down the road in a few seasons if he got the program rolling. Um, the only, the only, I have only two problems with how the whole thing went down. Uh, I think there was too many leaks. It got too public as far as before the offer was made. Uh, 
Uh, you heard, you know, obviously uh, Jim on the Jim Rome show with Greg Marshall talking about the crazy. If they make a crazy offer, I'd have to listen. I think they should have kept that on the down low until they made the offer. And then, to be honest, once you go to Wichita, Kansas, and you spend eight hours, if Greg Marshall is not ready to commit to you at that point, there's hotel rooms. You know, to me, you don't come back. Even though he was not expected to come back on the plane at that time, I'm not leaving Wichita unless you tell me you're not coming or unless you you get your family on the plane with me and you become my next coach. Well, uh, now here's – I just thought of this, so bear with me. Right. Given the very volatile nature of everything happening in athletics – Right. Do you think that Bill Battle felt pressure to get back in case there's another shoe waiting to drop? I mean, perhaps, but here's why I don't buy into that. Nick Saban is a big boy. Nick Saban is John Wayne. Nick Saban is strong enough to tell anybody where to go. That's fair. Now, here's the next question. Obviously, Alabama has suffered a, a big disappointment with this coaching search. Yep. Where do they go next? What, what, who's next on the list? That's a great question. And, uh, you know, as you would expect, I've been asked that on Twitter and or text or and you're, or. You're, you're so popular. By uh, six, about 6,529 times. <laughs> um, honestly, I you know, based upon, and I trust Cecil Hurd implicitly in these situations, uh, I think, and, I, and to be honest, he was one of my top also – when this search began, I did an article on Alabama Intel with my top three to four candidates. I would say uh, my top two would be uh, Shaka Smart and Archie Miller. But from what we understand uh, through ex- people that I speak with, Shaka indicated no interest the first go-round. Now, could he be interested now that the Texas deal has not gotten done and now he has physically or knows for a fact that $4 million is on the table? Perhaps, but I think the the next coach, in my educated opinion, it's and again, it's not a hundred percent known fact, of course, but I think it'll be Archie Miller of Dayton. We will see. There's been nothing break today, but here's what my uh, hope is, uh, Thomas, that now that they've had to reboot the and, and, and first, let me say also. The only other problem that I had with the Bill Battle search, I think he handled himself pretty well. I think he should have waited and spent the night in Wichita if he had to. But the only other thing, and this is at the very end of the process, that I wished he hadn't done was the statement. Uh, Why are you releasing a statement when everybody already knows he's just staying? That kind of caught me a little off guard as well. uh, (laughs) It's just perception. And now every coach knows – from what the athletic director said, that you're the second choice. So, But money talks, and the way I look at it is, now that some of these coaches have seen Alabama is serious and they have offered top five national money, I got a text message this afternoon or this morning stating that, you know, word is that they may have, there may have been some, this by this morning, there may have been some wild cards who, who made phone calls, their agents did, because now they're like, wow, Alabama's got that much money on the table. So there could be some wild card candidates that that were off the radar that now may be interested. To me, I hope Bill Battle takes his time. This doesn't need to be done quickly. Uh, take a several days, go to the Final Four, try to get your coach in place maybe by the end of next week, but see who's truly interested in this job and don't go out and make a quick panic hire within the next two days. 
unless a grand slam. You would know what a grand slam is, but just wait and see who's interested in the job. Absolutely, and we are joined by Kerry, Kerry Clark of Scout.com. Kerry, how are you this evening? Pretty good, pretty good. Kerry, uh, going? I'm better than uh, Alabama Athletics has been this past week. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what we said to lead the show. It's so been, it's been from hell. Yeah, the last and, fortnight has been awful. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's been rough, guys, and there's no doubt about it. You know, nobody was surprised that Tyron Jones was dismissed, of course, uh, he, the thing is, he gets arrested again, but he was already suspended from all team activities and very unlikely uh, to come back. I think he was in intense – I've heard he was in intense tutoring to get him academically eligible to transfer elsewhere. Uh, but, again, it was a, it's still not good when he gets picked up again from a drug possession and a traffic violation. And, obviously, Geno Smith with the two DUIs, the young man needs some help. I don't think you'll see him the rest of the spring. It may even be a rehab-type situation. And then with Jonathan Taylor – I know Kerry and Thomas, you guys have been covering the beat for a while, especially you, Kerry. I know you're a veteran of the of the of Ally covering the, the Crimson Tide. That had to be one of the most bizarre situations I've ever witnessed. Well, I've never I won't say never. It's it's rare in, in an athletic situation to see a domestic violence charge with some recanting unless it's a a woman after a bunch of money or something like that. But this woman told police that she put the marks on her neck herself. Uh, I haven't. I have not seen how the hole in her bedroom wall occurred. If she's owning up to that as she, well, what she said is that had been done previously. Uh, well, maybe it's on the lease. But uh, he was uh, actually expelled over this. So, yes, he was. Uh, he cannot be reinstated from the university. If indeed she was lying, and we may never know, but if she was lying, she, she has really taken a a really tough approach to ruining somebody's career not to say that he won't land somewhere else uh but i'm not sure it'll be d1 well i would think nick saban will make some calls and try to help the young man but i do think it is a hornet's nest to bring him back because no disrespect to mr taylor but obviously what if something else happens and 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 i know this this may sound strange especially considering that he may have been framed this this woman may be disturbed but at the very least because of what happened at Georgia with a different young lady and with this woman, he has bad taste in ladies. <laughs> and, well, uh, too much smoke just, and too many fires to put out. You yeah, can't there's just too much. It's too crazy. To, too, it's too much of a circus, guys. Alabama does not need Jonathan Taylor to win football games. Hope the young man can land somewhere, get his education, and play football, but it doesn't need to be in Tuscaloosa. Well, I have – I agree completely with the both of you, but I, I want to – I have. I feel like someone's going to get their face sued off in this situation. Oh well, yeah. I don't think there's any question. Because, well, well I, my question is from an Alabama perspective: What does Alabama know about this situation that is not public? Because you you have what both what apparently, if you go by what this girl has said, Nick Saban has kicked Jonathan Taylor off of the football program because of a false arrest. Like, at least that's what it looks like. And now he's been expelled because of a false arrest. Now, I understand the PR of everything. I get that. And in many ways, I don't fault Alabama for doing it. But at the same time, I'm terrified on a different level because I have a huge problem with the mob mentality. And that's what you've seen. You've seen national media hurling crap from the cheap seats. You've seen the Twitterverse hurling crap from the cheap seats. And 
the point at which this breaks down on a much bigger macro level is when all of our decisions in, in, for a football team or a big corporation are made by a mob because a mob is inherently stupid. It's least common denominator groupthink. And, you know, let's say that this girl made this story up. Let's, let's go with what she's saying. Let's, let, let's kind of shove to the side that she might have been pressured to recant. You have now completely altered this young man's life because of a mob mentality, a mob wanting to believe or feeling they had to believe a lie. And when we get to that point as a society, not just in a football sense, but as a society, that terrifies me to no end. And that's something that I wish more people would talk about. But the problem is when you do it, suddenly because you said it, you're endorsing domestic violence, which is not it at all. It's a completely separate issue, but the entire situation has driven me nuts because of this. Mob mentality is terrible, and we should never, ever allow that to become our, our, decision, our baseline decision-making. But it's happened in this case, and it's very unfortunate. It's like Frankenstein is in the castle, and the visitors, uh, the villagers, are down there with their pitchforks and their, their torches, and they're coming, and he has no shot. Uh, here's the thing, though, Thomas. This whole past, as you call it, Fortnite has really brought out the underbelly uh, and reminded me of some things that I really get disappointed in, disturbed at about our fan base. And I know our fan base is not any different than anybody else, but we are the kings and queens of guilty until proven innocent, and it's really sad. Well, I would love, you know, speaking on that, I would love to see all the Alabama fans that have beaten their chest and said he should have never been with the program, what they'd say now. I mean, what would they say if their kid had been lied to and kicked off campus? I bet they'd be pissed off, but they can't say that because they're kind of short-sighted. I'll, I'll, just, I'll call it what it is. We've got some stupid fans, and they're short-sighted, and they have to get on their moral high horse. But the problem with a moral high horse is you don't get to choose when you ride said horse. If you're on it for one thing, you need to be on it for the other thing. Otherwise, you're a hypocritical jackwagon. But rant over. <laughs> well, that's why when Nick Saban leaves, you're going to get Dabo, and you're going to like it. Well, brother. Uh, hope not. Well, Dabo won't be recruiting these kind of people. It's like I said on Twitter the other day. Uh, with Dabo, you have next to none of this. With uh, Kirby, if he's a successor, you have about the same amount. And I'm talking about Fugly. And if you hire Lane Kiffin, you're going to have a team full of Taylors and Collins. So, there's that. Well, could it could happen. But, you know, I, I and I'll admit, my first thought was when Taylor, you know, I, I – got arrested. I was like, well, he probably shouldn't have been signed in the first place, but I'll say this. I thought Saban handled himself well. The only part of the press conference I took umbrage with is when he did say Taylor was a good person, but guess what? He may be, because it, it turned out that the girl was probably lying, and so you can't even really take umbrage with that now. Uh, I don't blame him for taking chances. I think it'll probably be from this point forward, uh, you know, a violent background probably won't be uh, considered nearly as much I think, you know, obviously some run-ins, some uh, some small run-ins with the law uh, probably won't be dismissed. But uh, I, I think uh, a situation with any kind of violent crime in his background, they're probably going to take pause. But, again, I didn't mind them taking the young guy. He had, he obviously got in trouble at Georgia, but he stayed completely out of trouble at Colin. You know, we had his coach on, guys. We heard what Coach Davis said. And, 
and uh, he he'd gotten recommendations from his teachers. Uh, you know, he had, to, and and obviously uh, until this incident, I don't think he had had anything uh, going straight at Alabama. Of course, you can say it only took two months, but now, like you said, it may have been a situation where he was a little bit. Uh, <laughs> is a crazy female, well, and just may have been the only poor judgment in Taylor's case may have been who he chose to be with. And just a point um, just on top of that, I know that this is a, this is a not a great source, but it's a source. His lawyer has gone on the radio and said these are all the people that Alabama talked to, and in many ways, this is the program that he's been put through to make sure that he would stay on the straight and narrow. And it's yeah. just like how like okay, yes, I think Alabama does deserve some blame in like some some modicum of blame for the situation, but. At what point do you not – like, your due diligence is done. The kid messed up. I don't think – I think he's ruined it for some other kids, and that's okay. But it, I can't throw a lot of crap at Alabama for this. They did everything in their power. Like, the guy was in counseling. They talked to basically everybody. And the thing with the district attorney that said they didn't talk to him, the DA wasn't sure that was appropriate. So it's not like Alabama wasn't just, you know, oh, I don't want to talk to it, the prosecutor in the case, which in some ways makes legal sense if you think about it. But – Anyway, I digress. Well, here's but the thing with the thing I had to say too. What made me the angriest is the sanctimony since of guys like Paul Feinbaum saying, "Well, obviously Nick Saban and and, Al, and the powers that be at Alabama didn't do their due diligence in in, in uh, researching this young man." That's complete horse crap. Everybody knows that Nick Saban doesn't leave any stone unturned. It's just as you got to saying, Thomas, the young man messed up. Okay, then sometimes you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right and now, in this situation. He may have even had a, a, some tragic happen as far as a, a young lady ruined an opportunity for him at Alabama. But hopefully, he will. If this legal situation gets uh, resolved, he can resume his career elsewhere and at least have a chance to still chase his dreams and just get as far away from her as he can. I agree. I, and something else that bothers me uh, is that the media, specifically the media that covers Alabama, have decided, hey. Every time Paul Feinbaum makes a comment about something, we're going to write a story about it and quote him. Paul Feinbaum says swinging for the fence is not good enough with Bill Battle and Greg Marshall. Paul Feinbaum says Alabama didn't do due diligence. Let me say something about that. Paul Feinbaum is a pencil neck geek that never put on a jock strap in anger. So who gives a flying, you know what, what he thinks about what Alabama did? It's sad that somebody like that has become such an icon and, and a quote-unquote representative of the SEC that every time he farts or burps, it has to be quoted on AL.com. I cannot stand that. Well, I mean, let's just say this. Everybody knows I'm no fan of AL.com's collegiate beat writers. I'll just go ahead and say that on this air. Uh, so uh, th- their quality of journalism is severely lacking. And to be honest, um it doesn't really surprise me. I, I, I don't think they do enough homework anyway. No. And, and uh, it, they just they grab everything else off of Twitter, off of the Internet, and then go write a story about it. It's lazy reporting, for one thing. Uh, and I, didn't, I know some people took umbrage with Aaron Suttles, and he was very passionate. But at least I know that guy's an investigative reporter. He's a good reporter, good guy. Uh, you're always going to have differing opinions. But but I'll say this: the, the media was so sanctimonious in ripping Nick Saban and talking about Jonathan Taylor. They talked about Nick Saban didn't apologize. Well, a few of those pencil necks need to apologize themselves. But you know that they're, they're cowards and they won't do it. They're not. 
They're not. But on the other side of the coin, Saban was arrogant about it. And if the charges had been proven, if this is it, if the charges had been proven true, and the girl really was assaulted, they should have docked Nick Saban's ass about a month of salary. So, it was apparently fabricated. But if he had really gone out and beaten the hell out of some girl, they should have docked uh, Mr. Sanctimonious's ass about a month of salary, and then tell him to like it. So there. I but can't say I disagree. I mean, it wasn't proven true, so you know. But I'm just saying he did take an attitude about it, and I understand Feinbaum's point about that. You know, Saban's one of those guys that, that thinks his poop doesn't stink and he's never done anything wrong in his life and all that. That's fine. That's a lot of the great leaders of this time are like that. But at some point, you got to man up and say, "I screwed up," and he did not do that. You well, know? I mean, I will say he this: king of second chances until some woman actually does get her ass beat. That's not good. Well, it's not good, and I think, again, they need to look, They don't need to be taking people with violent backgrounds from this point forward, but he did say in his comments that it was his responsibility and the universities for, in, for admitting Jonathan Taylor because everybody knows Saban went to bat for him. So. He did, and he gave him, he gave him a lot of things he had to meet, and he was meeting them. Yeah. And, and I don't think we'll ever know for sure how true the report really is. Uh, it could have just been... Uh, what they call buyer's remorse, where the girl was telling the truth in the first place and then she decided to recant. Uh, her logic on, I thought he was cheating on me, and that's why I choked myself and, you know, showed him the pole in the wall. I, I just don't think we'll ever know, short of her taking a lot of picture tests, and that's not even 100% accurate. But at some point, you got to quit put, putting, you know, people in that situation. Uh, that's what I agree with that 100%. I agree Gary. the way you phrased it, Drew, that it's going to be more scrutiny in the future. But it needs to be a lot more scrutiny. Uh, you know, and, and swapping gears just for a second, we talked briefly about Tyron Jones. Drew and I have sat in meetings, closed booster meetings, with only a couple hundred people there, and heard Nick Saban tell us in no uncertain terms what a turd Tyron Jones was. So nobody should be surprised by this. That is. Now, on the second, on the other side of the coin, I don't think Geno Smith is a turd. No. I think he's. I think he's a young man who's basically a good kid at heart that made two bad decisions. I mean, hell, I'm the only male son out of three in my family that don't have a DUI. The other two do, and uh, it, it, it's a mistake that can be made. Should he have made it twice? No, he should have known damn well after that first one to never do it again. But as a person, he is he is better. Geno Smith is not a turd like Tyron Jones. And that's why, Drew, he's giving him some steps so he can have one more chance to get back on the team with zero strikes remaining. Uh, really, I agree with that. And I think in a lot of ways, Tyron may have got too many chances. I think mean, he's got at least one too many, you know. And, and, there, was, uh, there was not much you could do wrong that he didn't do. But, you know, right. besides failing drug tests and sleeping through 8 o'clock classes and whatever else, you know, taking an attitude in the meeting room. I mean, he, he did about everything you could do to get kicked off before it finally happened. Gino isn't like that. Gino made two bad decisions in, in four and a half years, well, in a year and a half, really. Uh, and and he's, he's paying the price. And they, they may be naming some of the steps that Bryant Denny after him after he gets done running them. But I think that Gino actually has a chance to get back on the team by the fall. I agree with what you said about him probably not playing no more in the spring. But I think he's got a chance to get back on the team by August. And maybe have a productive senior year. I don't know. But that kind of brings us to something else. That, you know, now that we've gone over all the bad stuff, uh, I, I was able to see the 12 minutes of practice yesterday that the media was allotted 
And uh, during that period, we noted that uh, true freshman, you know, two months out of high school, Ronnie Harrison is now running with a one at safety due to the absence of Gino. So that's that's something to, to talk about a little later. Uh, I, I, have y'all previewed the guests tonight yet? We have not. I know okay, we have our first guest on hold there, uh, Kerry. Oh, he's already on? Well, I, that, that's okay. We'll go ahead and bring him on, but he'll only have seven minutes. That's a normal caller. But at 6 o'clock we're gonna, uh, Central Time, we're going to be joined by Coach Jim Adams from uh, Montevallo High, Andrew Vow's defensive coordinator, who observed the entire practice last Friday. And then at 7 Central, we're going to be joined by John Garcia of scout.com and bannermag.com to talk about all the recruiting things that are going on. There have been a lot of that, as Drew has reported on his side, Alabama Intel. But for now, let's go ahead and take our first caller on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline, uh, Big C, Colin McGuire from Greenville, Alabama. What's going on, man? Not much. I like the sanctimonious comments you're making about journalists uh, while I was on hold. Are you one still there? <laughs> me, no. No, not quite. I tell you, one of the worst is Kevin Skarbinski. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's another one that they act like. Well, they work with him, so when they retweet his stuff, I get it. But retweeting some every time Feinbaum says it, that's, and, and making a story and quoting him, uh, that, 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 well, that drives my ass, let's see. Mm-hmm. Well, I just don't like him. I mean, uh, I mean, I've heard things about him. I mean, I just think he just, I don't know what his problem is, but he's got one. That's well, all I'll say I, I can tell you that. this, Big C. I can tell you this. I've, I, I talk to a lot of people in the media, and I have yet to meet one that really likes Kevin Skarbinski. Oh, really? That's interesting. <laughs> I have met many that, that speak highly of Feinbaum away from the microphone, but as far as Kevin Skarbinski, hadn't met a whole lot. Mm. That's all I'll say about it. That's okay. That's fine. I've only met um, I've been doing the longer group, so anyway. You what you got, Yeah, I've only met well, one. And he, yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. The deal on the... The girl, the woman recanting her story. Um, uh, what kind of problems does she? What kind of legal troubles does she have? Well, it's obviously a crime to falsify a police report. Uh, Thomas might go into what some of her uh, punishment might be. Well, I think that. And I, okay, first off, I'm not a mm-hmm. lawyer. I'm just. In, I, I, my dad's a lawyer, so I've been around it my whole life. But to say I'm an expert would be a bad lie. Obviously, she's got the falsifying police report charge, and I think she could get sued for, I mean, what amounts to defamation of character or some kind of civil suit by Jonathan Taylor because she's obviously, if it's proven that she's lied, she has damaged him, and that could be actionable. So I think she's got, like, a potential criminal thing with the false police report, but I also think she could be liable for civil civil damages. Again, I want to double I want to stress, I am not a certified trained lawyer, but that's what I think it is. Well, that looks like to me she she uh, he could have a it could be a lawsuit and if I was that guy, I would put one on her in a New York second. She wouldn't her head would be spinning so bad it wouldn't be funny for her. Uh but um but I don't see him I think he's gone though, don't y'all? I don't see him being reinstated, do y'all? No, I think Big C. We we reported a couple minutes ago. It sounds like the university's expelled him. I'm sorry. What now? We think the university's already expelled him. 
Uh, that oh, was announced okay. by a UA spokesperson. He has been expelled with no chance for readmission. He's done okay, at the University right. of Alabama. Well, yes, well. But if I was him and they could prove that she lied about all that, I'd be suing the hell out of her. She wouldn't. She'd have, would have to garnish. She'd have to garnish. She'd be garnished. We had to garnish her check until the day she died or retired or whatever. But anyway, uh, well, what's what's the news on the um, on the basketball front since? I'll give a battle effort for trying, but it just didn't work out. What do y'all hear on that? Well, Big C, you know, there's nothing definite, but I, I think that the, right now that the name to watch is Archie Miller of Dayton. I mean, we'll see. Though I did, I did receive a text message today that I think maybe this morning they've been contacted by some agents of some guys that were previously thought to be off the off the radar because. It is now fact, it's been leaked out, as Thomas said earlier on the show, that the offer was significant to Greg Marshall. It was 4.2 to $4.9 million. So he left at least a million dollars on the table to go back to Wichita. So it's a top five national salary with a huge recruiting budget and budget for staff for the right person. So I think Bill Battle is going to go to the Final Four and see who's serious and who might not like their situation or who might uh, be very interested in, in working at Alabama for that. I mean, they, it could be used as leverage to get a raise at their other institution, but you never know whose athletic director may be getting on their nerves or whose fan base may may make the coach feel unappreciated. So it's not going to hurt to take a few days and see who is serious about maybe wanting to make a move. Now, the Miller guy, you talking, did he sign or did they just offer him a contract extension? Uh, I think he signed it, Big C, but he's still making under a million dollars, and I'm not sure what the buyout is. But I, I heard some ridiculous numbers, but I don't think those are accurate. Archie Miller would never agree to a buyout of, of Tom Crean proportions because it it hurts your ability to be able to move. Yeah. Well, um, now what? Now here's somebody I uh, somebody told me the name's already been brought up. Several friends of mine have even mentioned this thing. Does Bobby Hurley even got a shot at being looked at or not? Well, everybody has opinions on it, Big C. He's, he's on my top four. But I was, I, because he's only coached two years. Uh, I love his name recognition. I love Duke. Everybody knows that. But he's in, he's in two years. He's already got Buffalo in the NCAA tournament. He'd never been before. They almost won a first-round game, and he plays a very, you know, nice style of basketball. But, but again, he's in, he is still relatively inexperienced. And the only other deal is he doesn't have ties to the South. Uh, he, he's more of an East Coast guy. Yeah. Well, he played four years in the South, but that's about it. Uh, I, I think yeah. Alex Drew's right. He's Correct. down down four or five years on the four or five spots on the list. Uh, I think it's, I think it, you look at Archie Miller. Uh, and then you look, if he says no, you look at Steve Prome at Murray State, not because he's a Bama grad, but because he's winning 28 games a year on the average. Uh, and then after that, I, I don't know. It would depend on who I was calling him. Uh, you know, it could be – there could be a surprise out there. I don't know. Uh, I personally would not be unhappy with Archie Miller at all. Yeah. I, he would have been my second choice or maybe my 1A after Marshall. It would have been my next call. So I would not yeah. be unhappy with him. Uh, I wouldn't be really unhappy with Trone, but I wouldn't be, like, stoked enough to go buy a cigar or anything. Archie Miller would be a great hire and maybe a 20-year hire. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, there might be. I mean, I always thought, I'm going to be honest with y'all, I, until this year, I didn't know really who Greg Marshall was. I know y'all do because y'all keep up with it closer than I do, but I just really didn't know who he was and um, until now. and uh, Everybody knows who he is now if you're following sports and all around here. But for some reason, Archie Miller seemed like to me, he was a, um, I sort of liked him more than him, that guy, and even Hurley more than him. I don't know why, but that's just me. Well, everybody knows about Archie because his older brother, Sean, has done so great at the University of Arizona, and their daddy apparently was a pretty good coach too. So that's that's the deal with that. But i tell you what, uh, I, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow morning, Big C. we got to let you go because we got an official guest on hold, but we appreciate you calling, Big C, and roll tide. Uh, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and bring Thank on uh, – he gone. I'm going to go ahead and bring on uh, Coach Jim Adams, who coaches uh, for Andrews Al over at uh, Montevallo High. And, Coach Adams, uh, I got a chance to see 12 minutes of practice yesterday, which wasn't too much. But you got a chance last Friday to see an entire Alabama practice at the annual Coaches Clinic. Uh, Coach Adams, first of all, welcome back to BAMS. We're, we're glad to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you saw last Friday when you got to see about two hours of practice. Well, actually, it was Friday and Saturday. The uh, the coaches clinic Thursday night is a chalk talk where you get to sit around with the uh, with Alabama coaches and eggs know a little bit. And then Friday the clinic, and then practice after that. Um, the first thing you notice about the clinic, I've been going down there since Coach Stallings was down there, and it has become monstrous. It is it is huge. There's coaches from all over the nation. I sit in on a chalk talk with um, a coach from Canada and met a coaching staff from Mexico on the field on Saturday. Wow. It's, it is, it's, it's gotten huge. Um, as far as practice goes on Friday, uh, me being a D-line and a defensive guy, I spent most of my time watching them, but I tried to get around to see a little bit of everybody. One thing I wanted to see was I wanted to lay eyes on Kenyon Drake, my new hero down there. And he, uh, if he's lost a step, you sure can't tell it. He he is quick as a water bug. Uh, that's one of the first things that really caught my attention. Uh, Deshaun Hand is uh, is developed into an absolute monster. Uh, his his strength and his speed and everything just it just blows your mind. Somebody can be that big and that fast. And the other thing that really stood out to me is how good Bo Scarborough looked in the uh, in the deep in the uh, backfield. He's he's. Not as big as Henry, but he is—he is much a man. Well, maybe we should get some. Uh, maybe we should get a T-shirt made saying something like Deshaun Hand is a grown-ass man. <laughs> that's that's—he's well, every—he's every bit of that. Well, and, and coach, uh, I've got to ask you about somebody. I know uh, you probably watched them some, and I've seen some practice film myself, and I've just—I've been extreme more excited about him than any of the additions on the staff, but. What were your impressions of watching Tosh Lupoy in practice? He is a pistol ball, that's for sure. Uh, he's got a ton of energy. He's all over the place. He's extremely vocal. Of course, all of, all of Alabama coaches are up down there right now are extremely vocal. Coach Davis, the D-line coaches, he's uh, extremely vocal too. But, but uh, I picked up some things from him sitting in on his clinic talk, the outside linebacker. Coach, I can't pronounce his last name. Say it again. Lupoy. Lou, yeah, I said uh, his clinic talk. I I got a lot of got a lot of little gems from him. Uh, he's he 
he and the uh, the new DB coach both are great additions. Great additions. Got a chance yesterday, coach, to talk to uh, Dalvin Tomlinson after practice as part of the regular press co- press conference type player. They bring through the room first interview, and Dalvin was telling us that uh, one of the things that the defensive players like about Coach Lupoy is that a lot of times before practice he'll get out there and do up downs with them or sit ups or push ups. He just he's that hands on. And because he's in his uh, in his 30s still, really, I, I think early 30s, he's got the energy to do that. But the players get a kick out of that. And what Dalvin told us was he just makes them want to practice even harder than they already are. Well, I'm going to tell you, he is all over the, all over the place in practice. He's, uh, he sprints everywhere he goes. Of course, none of none of Walt, none of Walt. But he sprints everywhere he goes. and. He better enjoy it in his 30s because there's going to come a time when them up-downs are going to hurt a little bit more than they do right now. The other guy I wanted to ask you about, Coach, uh, because he ran with the ones yesterday for the first time. I guess he was with the twos when you were there. But uh, a lot of people are saying a lot of good things about true freshman safety Ronnie Harrison. When I got to see the defensive secondary, uh, they they were on a, a different part of the field that was very difficult for me to get to to see any. But when I the first thing that struck you uh, on Friday, it was so ironic that you know Gino got in trouble that night. Coach Saban was all over his fanny Friday at practice. Uh, the entire defensive secondary, though, the ones and the twos, both looked real good. And I got to I got to see a good bit of the threes and fours because they were on the field closest to the. Uh, Close to the weight room where I was, and there's they look they look real good too. There's one real young kid, true uh, freshman, who is a um, early early enrollee. The only thing that strikes you about him is his size. He's he's not very big, and it's very obvious that he gets eighteen year old freshman. Yeah, it's probably Deontay Thompson, coach. Yep, that's him. That's him. And I I was one I wondered. I, we see the pictures, and you got a chance to see him up close, and we, it looks like he's definitely added weight. It looks like Marlon Humphrey is coming into his own. The other thing that strikes you about Humphreys is how the kid can move. I mean, it's you know he's being a, a track guy and everything as well. I've been seeing him since his freshman year in high school running track when I used to uh, be the track coach at the school I was at. I coached at previously. But I mean, he's just—he's so athletic, and so he got such a good nose for the football. I mean, if it's in the air, he—you know—he goes and gets it. Also, unfortunately, I got to see Sims get uh, Cam Sims get hurt. You knew when he landed, it was bad. I mean, as soon as soon as he landed, it was just one of those jump, one of those jump balls in a crowd of people. And when he went up and came down, just as soon as he came down, you knew it was bad. It made me sick to my stomach. Wow. That kind of reminds me of the time uh, last year when Drew and I were sitting at a scrimmage, a close scrimmage, and uh, Eddie, Jackson. Eddie Jackson went up and came down uh, and, and tore uh, some of his ACL. And, uh, you know, we, we all know what kind of year he had last year. He never really came back for it. Uh, we, we have to hope that, that Cam can get back at some point. I hope we don't have to take a red shirt. But I think right now it's probably too early to say just what his recovery time is. I know one thing, uh, it, it opens up a spot for uh, Calvin Ridley. He better come in ready to go. Yeah, I, it, it really was a situation as soon as he landed and, you know, it, and you saw it and heard it, uh, me and the guy was standing right next to it, looked at each other at the same time, said, God, oh, that was ACL. I mean, it was, it was that obvious that it was uh, 
a bad injury. Yeah, Coach, what, uh, what jumped out to you about the linebackers at all? Uh, you still try to understand how Foster can be as good as he is and not run him with the ones. Uh, they're Raglan looked Raglan looked like a, a a monster. I mean, he just he just looked like a beast out there. Uh, you know, when they did they did some ones on ones, uh, some inside drills that every time he hit somebody, he kind of screamed, kind of cringed a little bit. And when he and uh, Derek Henry went head up a couple of times, it made everybody in the place make a noise. Uh, that, that's that's two grown men going after each other, and both of them got a lot of. Uh, they got a lot of grit in their craw. Neither one of them are the kind that's going to give up very fast. Well, and, and Coach, I know you watch the defensive line closely. Obviously, you coach that in Montevallo. I know you talked about how Hand looked like a grown man now. Well, who, who are some of the others, uh, besides the obvious, the Jaron Reed and the Ashawn Robinsons, who are some of the other guys that, that stood out to you on the D-line? You know, the guy that I couldn't stop watching – and he's he's one of those kids that you know he's never going to get on the field. Is uh, Jake Long, little kid from uh, Vestavia Hills, who I mean he's so small compared to the rest of them. Guy's got got forearms like friggin' Popeye though, and you know he he strikes you just just based on how hard he goes and what kind of heart he puts into it. Um, the the first group that they put out there, that I mean just. The first thing you notice about them is just how friggin' big they are. Right? They, it's just, it's just they're ungodly big, um, and and fast. And you know they're not going to get a big head too much because Coach Davis is going to rip them a new one just about every every snap. So that's that's just what he is. So Drew and I were talking in the back chat here. So have we decided that Jake Long is going to be our Rudy? Yeah, I'm 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 gonna tell you what, I don't know if he'll ever get to dress out. I mean the kid's a junior, he's only five like five nine, two two thirty, something like that. But you talking about a kid that just goes I mean, he blows snot bubbles every second he's on the field. I mean, he's just one of those guys that you hope maybe he can get in on special teams or or add or contribute in some way because he's just he's just killing himself out there. You know, and to to his credit, Coach Davis coaches every one of them the exact same. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't slack up on any of them. He doesn't overpraise any of them. He treats all of them all of them exactly the same. So the kid got, you know, he didn't get the same number of reps as the first group did, but he was working with him every rep. And I got another thing. Another that, oh, go ahead, Coach. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the other thing that stood out on Saturday was, uh, I mean, typical college kids on a Saturday, you know, they probably uh, went to see their girlfriends on Friday night or stayed up too late playing Xbox. With about 10 minutes into practice, Coach Saban called them all up and gave a, I'm talking about had a come-to-Jesus meeting, and I, I don't even play, and I was scared. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, and, Coach, another position that's of interest – Obviously, they'll go head up with some of the you know D line and linebackers. Uh, I'm I, I know OJ Howard is never going to be Mark Navarro as a blocker, but I'm more interested in the guys behind him. Uh, obviously, they've moved Johnny Dwight over there. Obviously, you've got Dakota Ball, Brandon Green's now back, back up left tackle. Did you see anything from the tight ends in the practices? 
they all caught passes well. Every single one of them caught passes well. I'm still not I'm still not real thrilled with Dakota Ball leaving the uh, going to the dark side of the football, but I guess he did what he had to do. Uh, <laughs> um, all three of them caught uh, the tight ends all caught the ball well. The receivers all all caught the ball well. That uh, our Darius Stewart, who just absolutely killed me when he was at uh, when I was coaching at Vincent, he was at Fultondale. Uh, our Darius Stewart looked real good, and the little uh, the freshman Derek Keith, he looked he looked real good too. Coach, I know you need to go pretty soon so you can get to Monday Thursday service. So tell us a little about what your responsibilities are on the football team at Montevallo. Uh, I'm the old man of the staff. <laughs> Uh, the guy that's just glad to have his feet still in the grass. I coach defensive line. Last year I was responsible for uh, the uh, punt team and the extra point team, and Coach Zow has asked me to take all the special teams this year, so I'll be doing defensive line and uh, all the special teams and and uh, being uh, not the wise old man on the mountain, but the old man on the mountain. How about that? I like it. What's it like working for Andrew Zow? All our fans know about him as a player, but they probably don't know much about him as a coach. Andrew is a great guy. He is a he's a uh, he's one of those guys that cares just as much about the kid off the field as he does on the field. Which uh, you know, after 28 years of doing this, that's getting more and more rare. There's just there's too many kid, coaches out there that that the kids are just another piece of equipment. You know, there there's there's my blocking sled. You know, there's my shoes, there's my kids, and they they treat the kids like that. Andrew's not like that. Andrew's as concerned about them in the classroom and how and concerned about them as uh, as human beings uh, as he is about them on the football field. He's he's a wonderful wonderful guy to work for. I've I've really enjoyed the past couple of seasons with him. No doubt, Coach. And what were your I, I, what were your thoughts? Obviously, I heard some reports from the scrimmage from some coaches that watched the, the two days that the QBs were all pretty much – nobody really stood out. What were your thoughts on the quarterback position? If I if I were going to pick today, it would be Coker. But there wasn't a hill of beans difference between, the, uh, between he or uh, uh, Bateman or uh, – I can't think of the other guy's name. Cooper? Alec Moore. Uh, the only thing – yeah, Morris, that's right, Morris, I'm sorry. The only thing that stood out is that uh, Blake Barnett, the the freshman that's the early enrollee, is just, he's like the other early enrollee. He looks like an 18-year-old out there, just size-wise and everything, not arm strength-wise. Now, arm strength, you know, he's he, he got some pop on the ball, but just his physical size, he looks so much smaller than the other guys. But you could tell that there is a, a an air of confidence with a coker. And I would not be surprised if he's not the man at the beginning of the year next year. But I guess we'll we got a little bit of time to wait and see about that. We do. And uh, coach, I, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to call in tonight. Uh, we'll probably quiz you again uh, as the season gets closer. But uh, I know you need to get to church. So I want to thank you for calling in. And uh, you and Miss Wanda K, have a good night. Oh, I sure do appreciate it, guys. I, just holler at me anytime. I'll be glad to come back and waste waste some of y'all time. I, I enjoyed it, though. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Low tide. That's uh, Coach Jim Adams, the special team coordinator and the defensive line coach for Montevallo High School. His boss is uh, 
well-known Alabama former quarterback, Andrew Zhao, and uh, I knew that, that Coach would have some interesting input. Another thing, I will tell you something really funny that happened with the interview session yesterday after practice street. Uh, the first guy that got in there was, was Chris Black, and uh, one of the guys asking questions said that wanted to ask him how Cooper had looked at wide receiver. Well, he gave this long, drawn-out answer about how great he was and da 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 and then he realized the question was about Cooper Bateman, and not Amari Cooper, and it just broke the room up. So he had to kind of he had to kind of rephrase everything, and you know, we were kind of surprised to see Cooper Bateman over there with us. But so far, he's done pretty good. He doesn't mind going across the middle, blah blah blah. But it was so funny after he spent like 45 seconds talking about how great Amari Cooper was, and they they said. Because the next question was, but he just moved the wide receiver, and he was like, "Oh, you mean Cooper Bateman?" It was so <laughs> funny, so funny. So Cooper oh. Bateman yesterday took all the, you know, the twelve minutes we were there, all the reps with, uh, with the receivers. But I'm, I'm, I'm about ninety percent sure that after we leave, he takes some more work with the quarterbacks every day. Uh, I think it's a spring experiment. Uh, certainly an athletic kid, and, and a, a sensible experiment, particularly with the. Uh, Injury to Cam Sims, but the person that I noticed that moved up into the number four slot yesterday during warmups, the person I noticed was kind of what I anticipated. Drew was former walk-on Parker Barino. He's now running number four. The top receivers are, are Chris Black and and Rob Foster and our Darius Stewart. But the number four guy yesterday in warmups was Parker. And I got to tell you, uh, there was a lot of good things said by Chris Black uh, about both our Darius Stewart and Rob Foster. It sounds like, from observations of those that are there more frequently, Drew, that the light has come on for Rob Foster. I think so, and I think I may have reported on this show at Pro Day. He's now considered the fastest young man on the team. He beat Tony Brown in a 60-yard dash. and I don't think there's any doubt that Robert Foster's always had talent. He was the number one wide receiver in the country coming out of Pennsylvania when he signed with the Crimson Tide. And now that he's taken him going into his third year to wait and wait his turn, but Everybody saw some flashes last spring, Kerry, but if he's finally learned how to practice and do what he needs to be done, there's no question he could have a breakout year this year. Not only practice, but uh, what Chris Black was saying about Robert was that he's really gotten into the playbook. Right. And, uh, he, he, you know, he's not having to think so much now. He can just go out and play and, and read. And, you know, he's worked on his release off the line, which is very paramount for a guy lining up out wide. One interesting thing that I thought that Chris told us last night, Chris Black, was that uh, when you line up at wide receiver, like split in, you have to be really good on your release. But when you line up in the slot, it's more about reading where you're supposed to go. So that was uh, that, that was pretty cool, I thought. So, uh, yeah, but it was, it was good to hear from Coach Adams. Uh, we'll see him again at the BAMS radio tent uh, at A-Day on April the 18th. Uh, hopefully it'll be a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And the barbecue sponsor, the one that will be feeding us that day, will be Chuck Peak of Big Head Barbecue, where they like to say go big or go home. Well, he always goes big. Uh, they do catering, private parties, other events. Uh, you can check them out uh, on Twitter, at Big Head BBQ, or their website, which is uh, www.bigheadsbbq.net. And you can call us if you're listening live. If you're listening between 5.30 and 7.30 Central Time, you can call us and ask any question you like at 714 714- Five one zero three seven zero seven again seven one four five one zero three seven zero seven. So you know, just a couple. And uh, another thing that stood out in the interviews last night, Drew. Sometimes you ask these questions and you, you pretty much know what they're going to say. But uh, when we're talking to Dalvin Thompson, uh, he said that there is such a camaraderie 
and, and such a chemistry among the defensive line right now that everybody pulls for each other, and everybody has learned more than one position. And like he was saying for himself, Dalvin, he'll play end a lot, but then when they get to third down and they're bringing the rabbit to move inside the nose, uh, I, I would submit uh, – that the defensive line group is the deepest as far as getting a lot of legitimate people out there on the field this fall that, that Alabama really has on the team. It is the deepest area on the football team. I don't think there's any doubt because you, you heard what Coach said. And, and uh, Deshaun Hand, he said, look like a grown man. And Deshaun Hand right now is second string. So, uh, because I think the D-line is extremely, you know, talented now that Jonathan Taylor is no longer with the team. You're still going to see Darren Lake at nose. You can still see Jaron Reed, Nashawn slide inside there at certain times. As you said, Dalvin on third down with the Rabbits can do can slide inside. And you're going to see Josh Frazier uh, get a chance uh, to uh, slide, uh, to play some nose. And he's someone that's got pass rush ability from that spot. And he's buried on the depth chart right now, but there's also a redshirt freshman, O.J. Smith from Shreveport, Louisiana. So they still have numbers and talent. Yeah, they're going to be fine in those guards. Uh, that was going to be a place where Jonathan Taylor was going to help them. But I'm not 100% sure, at least based on the people that have been going to practice, uh, that he was going to be the starter in those guards. He was going to play every game, obviously, but uh, I'm not so sure he'd been the starter. He, he would have been a legitimate veteran. But now it means that Josh Frazier and, and, and maybe O.J. Smith also has to step up. Josh Frazier showed last year in, in small increments that he has the intention to be a very good nose guard. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt he he had a sack or two. I mean, he, I think he had a I think he has a lot of natural ability. I think he's hungry. Um, I think Darren Lake is hungry. He's coming off a red shirt year, so I still think they've got the numbers. And I I really like Jaron when he goes inside as well. I'm anxious to see you know the improvement made by Tosh Lupoy with the outside linebackers. I think it's going to be dramatic. Because I think the the predecessor was a very good recruiter and talent evaluator, but a very average coach. I think Tosh Lupoy is a, a, very, a very good talent evaluator and recruiter, but can also teach. And to me, it's like night and day watching him in drills. Oh, I enjoyed watching him the little time we were out there yesterday. Uh, I think of the 12 minutes, I, I spent four or five of them watching Tosh. And uh, he is very active, very vocal. Uh, but, you know, so are some of the other guys out there. I mean, Mel Tucker is a hands-on guy. I think Mel Tucker, yeah, Mel Tucker is probably yeah. one of the more underrated hires that was made in the whole conference in the offseason. I think there's no doubt about that. I think he can bring some new juice to the secondary. Um, I'm really impressed with Ronnie Harrison. You know, I know you got frustrated with Ronnie and during the recruiting process and thought he was stringing Alabama along for Georgia, but I told you he was a guy that needed to hold on to. I think he's got a, lot, a great frame. Uh, long arms. As soon as he learns the playbook, I think he's going to be hard to get out of there. I think Deontay will be red-shirted, but will be a factor. You know, uh, you know, they are still early in his career, but I, I'm just anxious to see how Eddie Jackson's improved. Even here, even hearing some rumblings, he could be moved to safety. I mean, we'll find out. But obviously, Marlon Humphrey seems to have made the prerequisite. You know, improvement. And we talked about Marlon. He has an elite talent. We expect him to be a factor. I, th- I think Cyrus Jones has proven himself. Now you hope Bradley Sills can continue to get better, and then Tony Brown. So I think the secondary is talented. Maurice Smith, they just need to fit the pieces all together. 
Yeah, and it's going to be curious also to see uh, how much of, of a contribution they get from one fifth-year guy and one first-year guy. The fifth-year guy who currently runs with the ones is Jabril Washington, and another first-year guy besides Ronnie is uh, – well, I'm sorry, he's not a first-year guy. He's a second-year guy. They didn't play that much last year. Uh, the second-year guy I'm talking about is, is Hootie Jones. Uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts at safety and corner both. But you got to think, and, and you have to understand that, and you do, Drew, I know, and Thomas does too, you can be the fifth or sixth DB and still play a ton, particularly if you're the, the nickel guy. And if I'm Eddie, I learned that nickel because uh, I don't know if he's going to come in and be a starting free safety or strong safety, but right. I think Eddie's skill set is, is pretty well suited to the nickel, uh, maybe more so than it is the corner, particularly once Tony and Marlon get their feet lit and – Cyrus, who remains on the, in the black shirt on the exercise bike, Jones comes back. Yeah, no doubt. And then you'll have two very talented freshmen come in in May, Kerry, at the end of May in Kendall Sheffield and Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, and I'm curious to know how they plan to use Minka because, you know, that might be somebody to watch out at safety, too. He seemed amenable to the change. I know he's a great corner. I don't think there's any question that Kendall Sheffield stayed at corner. But I think Minka could, Minka could be a wild card in the safety rotation. And you're right, those kids are reporting May 24th to start getting acclimated to off-season conditioning and uh, off-season workouts in the form of skeleton drills. So, yeah, it hurts Mr. Spring because you're in full gear a lot of the time. But uh, May 24th is still a pretty stout time to report for a team that doesn't play for like three months later. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no doubt about that. Anxious to see. I know they're not letting him kick too much. They want him healthy for the fall. Anxious to see how Adam Griffith's looking if he's improved somewhat. And then also we all know J.K. Scott can punt. But uh, and then I, from what I understand right now, Chris Black is doing the primary returning with Cyrus Jones out. Well, that would make sense. Um, I'll tell you something funny about, <laughs> about J.K. and them. You know, we like I said, we only got 12 minutes on the field, and it was it was uh, not quite 80. It was like, well, it was 79 yesterday, and uh, it was pretty humid out there, uh, you know, considerably. Um uh, Everybody wasn't sweating or anything, but it was warm. And so they escorted us off the field to go back up to the media room to start working on our stories. And we're walking through the indoor facility, which is a heck of a lot cooler than the 79 it was outside. And there's Cole Mazza and J.K. Scott and Adam, them guys just lounging around, sitting on their butts. I don't think Bobby Williams has got a pretty tough rain on them in the spring. And maybe they were on some kind of break, but the people outside were not on any kind of break. So I thought it was kind of, they were just sitting there laughing and cracking up and all that. And I'm thinking, yeah, these specialists are the smart guys because they know what they can get away with and they're doing it. Because everybody else up there busting their butt in 79, 80 degree weather, these guys in there lounging around, you know, with their helmets off and blah, blah. And yeah, you know, J.K. Scott, he's kind of a cut from a different cloth. He's a yes. Denver guy. He's not a good old Alabama boy. Uh, and Adam is too because Adam's a cool you know, really from Europe. But uh, <laughs> it was just funny to see that. Uh, and Cole's from California, so, I mean, it was just funny to see those guys chilling out while everybody else was out there killing themselves in the in the hot sun. But I know at some point they got up and did work on the indoor facility because that's, that's, there's goalposts in there and all that. But it just cracked me up when I was walking out seeing those guys just sitting there chilling. Oh, yeah, it was, cra- it was crazy. And, but uh, we do know what they've got with J.K. Scott, a weapon unlike any in college football. And, you hope Adam Griffith can come around. Cole Moz has had one bad snap in two years, and we all remember what that was. It was against Missouri, but J.K. Scott still bailed him out. 
and yep. uh, got decent hang time and got it off. So it, I, I am anxious to see if Marlon Humphrey gets a chance to return kicks, carry, because I think he could be a lead at it. Uh, at the very least, he may get a shot at some kickoffs. I think another guy to watch on kickoffs, at least judging by what he told me at the Sugar Bowl, was uh, our Darius Stewart. There's no right. shortage. There's no shortage of qualified return men. Robert Foster as well. Yes, he can fly. In fact, Rob could be the guy that's back there with our Darius or uh, or Chris or whoever it is on kickoff or Marlon or Cyrus or Tony. Rob could be the, the alternate guy back there that's a designated blocker, but every now and then gets to return one, kind of the role that used to be played by Kevin Norwood. Yes, yes. And Landon Collins. Landon as well. Um, and uh, speaking of Landon, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that later, but uh, – a lot of interesting going on uh, things, and we'll bring Thomas in after the break to talk about it. A lot of interesting things going on regarding the uh, upcoming NFL draft as to where Bama's uh, first-round guys will land. But right now, uh, we're one hour into the show. It is 6.30 Central Time if you're listening live. We're going to take a break for just a couple of minutes. We'll be right back. You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family.
is now 33 minutes past the hour or 27 before, regardless of how you look at it. Uh, welcome back to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com and Scout.com. Joined, as always, by Drew Armand of AlabamaInsale.com and Thomas Watts, our producer, back in the studio of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Before we get back into the football and basketball fray, I wanted to uh, share some personal observations that I had. Uh, regarding uh, some baseball and softball that I was able to personally cover for Bama Mag. Uh, this past Sunday, I watched Alabama uh, come up short in an attempt to sweep Texas A&M. Uh, they did take two out of three, but at home, you like to get a sweep, but they were, Bama was ranked fifth, and they're now fifth in one poll and sixth in the other, uh, and A&M came in 23rd, so it wasn't a horrible team they were playing, but Bama did take two out of three. Uh, then in two games I did not attend, they run ruled uh, Southern Miss and Mississippi Valley this past week. Two uh, good midweek uh, games to get the bats going. And they're traveling to Lexington, Kentucky for a three-game series starting tomorrow. Uh, Battle Baseball, uh, I did attend the game. It's my first trip ever to Regents Field uh, this past Tuesday, uh, two nights ago. And uh, it was a little chilly out there, but had a good time and got to connect there personally with uh, Roger Myers, one of our callers, and also with uh, Rick Penley, whose Twitter account for Alabama Grand Slammers is one you really want to follow if you want to keep up with baseball. And also George Salem, the father of Georgie. I uh, got to talk to all three of those guys during a lengthy 97-minute rain delay before the game finally started. And uh, Alabama was able to pull out the win. 7-2 uh, to was the final. Uh, UAB issued 10 free passes. Seven walks and three hit batters, and a lot of those were the bases loaded. But Bama still took advantage, and uh, Bama played pretty good defense and got some good pitching that evening uh, from a couple of different guys. They're now 15 and 12. They host number three LSU starting tonight. Uh, as a matter of fact, they started about 25 minutes over at, uh, not far from me at the Hoover Met. Uh, they are not ranked, uh, and I tell you what, Alabama's baseball team has been pretty inconsistent this year at 15 and 12. But I'll say this, Drew. They are playing one of the toughest schedules of anybody in the free world. They got number three LSU this week, and in a couple weeks they got to host number one Bandy. So, I mean, it just never ends for that team. No, it's a it's a grind, and their 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 SEC schedule was especially front loaded, carry with a lot of the higher ranked teams, and they're just going to have to keep maintaining. And the and the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to get swept. And when you have a chance to take a series like they did with Mississippi State, you got to take advantage of it. Well, they had a chance to take the series in Gainesville, Florida, uh, yes. and, and came up a little short. They uh, had, had rallied back to tie the final game 4-4 four to four and uh, ended up losing that game. Did take one out of three. Uh, and, you know, they took one out of three at home against a pretty good A&M team. Uh, a team that had been undefeated, Alabama had it under their first yes. loss a couple weeks ago. I was actually at that game. Um, I've been to two baseball games now and two softball games, and, Hoping actually three softball games, so hoping to do a little bit more of that. I probably will try to go Saturday for the season or the series finale against number three LSU. But uh, the Alabama baseball team has been inconsistent when it comes to uh, well hitting and pitching. The, the pitchers have struggled with walks, but the hitters have struggled with people on base. So they're leaving a ton of guys on base. It was a good win against UAB. Uh, I'm 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 a I'm one of those guys that, that says, I've always said this, even before the Internet, that UAB and AUB fell sideways. And it was so funny because there was a kid, I mean, like 
you know, a, a pre-K or kindergarten-type kid sitting just outside the press box with UAB stuff on that kept hollering more even the whole game to further prove mm-hmm. my point. And then this is what was really funny. Thomas and Drew, you're both getting kicked out of this. When it got, you know, 7-2, to Bama was about one out in the ninth, and it was apparent that UAB was not going to win the game. That's when the UAB fans started ch- started chanting, fire Ray Watts. It was well, kind of funny. Kind of funny. Uh, long night, though. I mean, we got there, you know, before 6.30, and uh, there's a 97-minute rain delay. And then by the time we got through writing and typing up our interviews and all, it was midnight. So it was a long night, my first trip ever to Regent Field, a beautiful facility. Uh, I'm not a big fan of minor league baseball, but it is a beautiful facility. And uh, something I would urge uh, any Alabama fan or any listener to go and see at least uh, one game there. And there was a lot of free street parking. I like that around there. I'm not a big fan of having to pay to park. And sometimes the media parking is gone, and it was that night. So uh, still had no problem getting the parking place free. And, you know, it's always fun to me to beat UAB. I don't care what the sport is. We don't play them in much, but when we do play them in something, it's fun to beat them, and we did. And actually, uh, next week we play them again at the Met. I'm going to try to get a whip for that if I can. I can't guarantee that one, though. But uh, uh, definitely we'll try to make the series finale against the Ocean. And, and it's, you, you made a good point, Drew, about not getting swept. But it, it doesn't say much for Alabama baseball when you're at your your home away from home. And we'd be saying the same thing if this series was at the refurbished Seal Thomas. But it doesn't say much for your program when your hope is not to get swept in a home series. Exactly. In other words, coaching. Well, and I, I'm hoping that once this basketball situation gets ironed out within a, a calendar year, the baseball situation gets rectified. Um, but I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I, I have not seen the baseball team play live in, in, since last year. I think I saw the game. I saw them play Jack, beat Jacksonville State at home. Was the only one I got to see in Tuscaloosa. But um, I, I've, I was I just found out today that uh, I will be in attendance for the scrimmage tomorrow uh, at, at the Bryant Denny Stadium. That should wrap up around four o'clock or so. Uh, and and then what time is the baseball team playing, Kerry? They moved it up to three tomorrow, Drew, because of its uh, impending rain. Ah, well, I won't be able to. That I was only thought, out this afternoon. Right. I would. I would. I had thought maybe if it was a night game, I might stop in Hoover on the way back home. Uh, we're doing my uh, my radio show on ninety seven seven from Bob's Victory Grill in Tuscaloosa. Thought I might try to catch some baseball, but it, because of the weather, and I had heard there was a chance for some weather this weekend, and that's going to be tough to do. I'm glad to know you're going to be at the scrimmage because uh, you'll be able to give us some uh, first-hand observations. And uh, on April the 11th, uh, we'll both be there. And I always look forward to, to sitting with you and breaking it down and uh, all your your positive principal buddies sitting with us. With well, I may be the lone wolf, Kerry. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> my, my, tip, my buddy Tipton, he won't be, he's, he's not coming until A-Day. And I think my other two guys in my crew may, may have other commitments. So, I think I may just be meeting. Uh, I may be draw. I may be meeting Kerry Clark in Hoover, and then just uh, we may ride in together and be lone wolves. That'd be fine. Well, it's not lone wolves. There's two of you. That makes a pack. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, I wanted to say one more thing about baseball before I, I let yes. that drop. Uh, yes. I, I'm at the game the other night, and, and, and I got a little pissed off here. I'm not going to lie to you. Kyle Overstreet has been in a somewhat of a slump. Our second yes. baseman. At, at this point in the game, and I wrote about this, we're in the sixth inning. We're up on UAB five to two, 
we have two men on base and nobody out. And Kyle has three straight hits to start the game. So what does the ghost of Jim Wells from the dugout call for Kyle to do? Bunt. And I'm thinking, okay, you got JC Wilhite, you got JC Wilhite behind you who who is over three hundred and having a, a, an outstanding storybook senior year written about today by Drew Champlin. Good job on that article. Uh, JC Wilhite at Tuscaloosa kid who, who's a walk on and he's become the DH and uh, a relief pitcher. And he's sitting about three hundred, he's behind Kyle. After that, without naming names, you have three straight kids below the Mendoza mark. And the, 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 if you're a baseball fan, the Mendoza level is under 200. So you yeah. have one guy that's at three-something, then you have three straight sub-200 hitters. Kyle's three for three. There's two on and no out. And I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking about crushing the ball to the wall and stuff. And they ask him to put a butt down, and he uh, inadvertently popped it up to the pitcher and I mean, hell, don't you let a guy who's swinging the bat that great just swing the bat. Why do you make it butt? So I asked Kyle Stewart about it after the game in a nice professional manner, and he gave me, Coach Mitch Kaspar gave me a nice professional answer. Well, we're just trying to get another run. We're up three. We're trying to make it four. Uh, well, uh, and, and, and I'm thinking, okay, but if you're trying to get another run, why in the hell is the guy who's three for three? And Drew ended up four for five. Why don't you let him swing the freaking bat? I, I mean, that's Jim Wells baseball, and I, it just it, – it, it, uh, like my ass. And then well, like, but I'll say this. Like you're right, Kerry. Well, and, 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 but I'll say this. At least Jim Wells built up some equity. Uh, <laughs> Mitch Gaspar doesn't have behind him what Jim Wells had. And to me, Mitch Gaspar is a lieutenant and not a general. Uh, it just proves to me – and then you, when you have three kids batting below the Mendoza line, I know I don't care how great a player he was, and I don't give a flying crap that he played for the Yankees. You got to get Andy Phillips out of there. He's going to get you fired, and that's ultimately what's going to happen. But to me, that Mitch Gaspard is so tone deaf not to not to make that change shows that he's not a quality head coach, and they all fixing to get fired within a year because I'm telling you. They've got. I know that they've made regionals, yada yada yada. But when you have a forty million dollar stadium that's going to open up, you ain't just supposed to make regionals. You're supposed right. to win regionals, host regionals, and get your butt to Omaha or get the hell out of Dodge. And, and so that region. needs to be. And especially with a new athletic director likely coming in soon, who did not hire your butt. So you better and you and and the set stadium needs to be paid for, which means the seats need to be filled. It's time to win, fellas. So uh, you know, you, you, uh, par, pardon the French here, but it's time to it's time to to crap or get off the pot. Well said, and you know, Mitch Gaspar, he's a smart guy. I, I think he knows that he's only got a year and a half left to make some noise, and noise is, is more than just making a road regional and getting put out in three games. Noise means at least getting to a super regional, which he has done that, but. It, it really means – I don't even know if he has the team this year to get to Omaha, but he needs to get further than just, you know, one and two in a regional. Uh, and, yes. and, you know, I think he knows that. I really do. I think he realizes he's only got a year and a half to prove himself to whoever his boss is going to be. Because I do think they're going to get Mitch and whoever he keeps on his staff. I do think they're going to give him one year in the new stadium. Yes. And if they don't really make some noise next year – 
I think they're going to get what Anthony Grant got. And, and like I said, Mitch is a nice guy. He's good to the media. He's very professional. But when you come, when you really think about it, 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 it as far as hires go in University of Alabama history, I, I, I put it up there. It, it was very similar hire to David Hobbs. Yeah, I think so. And I thought he could, he would do a good, better job than he's done in actuality. But sometimes you never know what kind of coach a guy is until he moves over to from the assistant's job to the head job. And he didn't have the success at Northwestern State that predecessors Jim Wells and John Cohen did. No, not really. Uh, not really. Uh, he had been a manager, and that's about all you could say. Uh, yeah. Or head, head coach, I'm thinking, maybe. Yes. Uh, we do have the starters for tonight's first game against LSU. Uh, Chandler Avan will lead off and left, and Georgia Salem in center. Georgia's been in the slump. I mean, you know, he was one for yeah. five in an RBI double against UAB, but the other four times were not stellar at bat. Mikey White is short, Casey Houston in right, uh, Kyle Overstreet is second, Will Height, which is a great story. If you have a chance, go to L.com and read the story that Drew Champion wrote about J.C. Will Height. Uh, it's a really, really great shot. He's almost like a Rudy, really, but he's a senior and he's getting a chance to help both pitching and hitting. Uh, yeah, we know what Paige said about him, great young man. Cody Henry is at first. Uh, Cody's a true freshman that's also struggling with a bat, but he's starting tonight. Uh, Will Haney. Uh, God bless Will Haney Drew. The guy is six foot six, playing catcher, looks like Dale Murphy down there. And he was one for five, a number of strikeouts. But I'm going to tell you what, that one he hit against UAB was over 400 feet, and it's probably still rolling down the street somewhere in downtown Birmingham. He crushed it. Uh, uh-huh. then, then you have uh, Vincent. Chance Vincent has moved from first to third for the second game in a row. Uh, third was his position all year last year. And then uh, the lefty, Taylor Gilbo, on the mound tonight. Uh, a couple of other things. Uh, the Alabama gymnastics team travels over to Auburn Saturday for an NCAA regional. You have to get first or second in that meet, and they'll be going for number 114 in a row against the the uh, the uh, gymnastic booger eaters down there. Uh, <laughs> they'll be going for that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Auburn had a chance to beat them at the meet that was held in Birmingham, a non-SEC meet. Didn't didn't pull it off. Basically choked. Auburn did. Could have pulled it off. Didn't. Alabama has been much sharper since then. Uh, won the SEC. Mad props to Dana uh, Duckworth, first-year head yeah. coach, for doing that. She has really done a good job her first year. Other than the way they blew the meat at Arkansas, and, uh, you know, those kind of things just happen. That's, if, you, if you only have one of those a year, you're fine. Uh, but they're going down there. They need, they need to either get first or second. Certainly you don't want to be that that be the night you lose your streak to Auburn. Uh, let's go ahead and get number 114. And let's hope Auburn's the second team so you get number 115. A nationals. Um, so that's going on. Uh, one of the people that's been mentioned, Drew, uh, by even some of our sources, as a potential Alabama head coach is DCU's Shaka Smart. He's got, an eight, he's got an 8 o'clock meeting with his team tonight, and that's probably telling that he's going to Austin. Uh, Alabama, as we talked about at the onset of the show, uh, while we were talking about all the different soap opera things that happened in the last fortnight, uh, Alabama is continuing to look for a head coach. Drew, we don't really have a way to uh, read Bill Battle's mind as to where he's leading. Uh, and I know you mentioned that they may have gotten some phone calls from some agents now that they know that they're, they're willing to shut off the bus. But I'm still of the opinion, and I can't I can't predict what Coach Battle's going to do, but I'm still of the opinion that if you go out and secure right now Archie Miller, that, that you, you've done a great job on the search. I don't even think of that as a two. I think of that as a 1A. 
Oh, I do too. He's always been among my top two to three, along with Shaka. But always, I didn't put Shaka on my list last night, Kerry. I know you retweeted my article and read my article. Uh, did not uh, include him because I figured he was going to Texas. Um, you know, I, I I did come out with a with one uh, that's been not mentioned previously. I put him on my uh, on my new list. I don't know that Bill Battle will call him, but I, I think you know if. It, it, the Archie Miller situation were not resolved in Alabama's favor. I do think that they should call Chris Mack at Xavier. He's been to three Sweet Sixteens in six years. The only issue with it, Kerry, and I'm sure you read the article, is he is a Xavier guy, which could make it a little more dicey. But as you know, following college basketball as close as you have, there's been a lot of great coaches come out of Xavier. There have, and, and it's not inconceivable that his agent might have been one of the ones that placed the call to Coach Battle today. We don't know that. Uh, Chris Mack would be a great hire. I just would, uh, I don't know, I would kind of, he'd be a great hire, but I would kind of give pause to somebody that would turn it back on their own alma mater, which is really a basketball school. Uh, I know money talks and BS walks, I realize that. But I, I'm thinking, look, you know, I mean, if I'm coaching Alabama and, and Duke calls me, I'm probably still going to want to stay to Alabama as long as the, the uh, salaries are within a million dollars of each other. But, that, that may be a guy to call, uh, you know, maybe so. Who knows? It, it's interesting that you that you mentioned that, that there may be some names that, that we don't know about that placed the call once they saw that, that Greg Marshall could have made four, four and a half million. Um, I want to give credit. I didn't really get a chance to do this because I was late getting on the show because my computer was cleaning out crap so I could hear y'all talk. But everything is fine with that now. Uh, I, I want to give Bill Battle credit for sticking to his guns and going after his top choice and, and waiting until he could get a final answer. And, and, and before anybody goes too far to criticize Bill Ballard, there was a flight scheduled to bring uh, Greg Marshall and his yeah. family to Tuscaloosa tomorrow. And if that had happened, along no. with the work that was being done behind the scenes by Terry Saban, who no. had become very involved, we would have got him. If he had yeah. gotten on the plane, we would have got him. But would you tell you that, and they talked to the Cook brothers and whoever else needed to talk to him, they got the money up to get him somewhere around 3, 3.3, and that was enough to get him to stay. Uh, and, and, and But, look, they swung to the fence, and I'll give them credit. Look, I, let me say this, Drew, and you can, you can agree or disagree. Getting Greg Marshall would have been a grand slam, a walk-off grand slam, but I still think getting uh, – if, if they can land Archie Miller, I still think that's at least the basis of a triple or two-run home or three-run home. I, I, I think well, that would be a hell of a hire. I really do. I mean, and, and, and everybody knows that I love Rodney Orr and I always will. Now, some of the people on his website, <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, it's like that everywhere. I call them Bama quitters. Well, well, and then people to to try to start nitpicking his record and say, well, look at him. Well, look at what Archie's done. He hadn't really done that much in the last five two years. He's five and two in the tournament. He's like thirty-two years old. He's like thirty-six years old. And he's. He's, he was went to the Elite Eight last year, Kerry, and then this year, with only six scholarship players, he was eight minutes from going back. Something else about Archie Miller. Uh, and I love his lineage, by the way. His dad oh, was a great high school coach in absolutely. Pennsylvania. I love Sean. Uh, Sean only makes $2.6 million, Kerry, but you're not going to get him out of Arizona. Okay? No, but that's, that's not realistic. But, but Archie is realistic. Yeah. And um, – I hope my buddy in Atlanta, uh, who I'll see when I speak to the local alumni group next Wednesday, I hope my buddy in Atlanta, Stuart Gibson, is listening to this podcast. Because, Stuart, if you're listening to this, 
we know that you are the fitting image of Sean Miller. Every time I see Sean Miller, I'm like, wow. And uh, Stewart's a Philadelphia club guy, but anyway, funny story, but true, true story. Uh, You know, (laughs) what I was getting at, Drew, and I got off track there, I'm sorry, they announced all the various and different player of the years and Mr. Basketball and all that today in Montgomery. Yes, they did. And Alabama signing Dante Hall, he got the 2A uh, player of the year, but Mr. Basketball mm-hmm. stays on England. And uh, former Alabama commitment, uh, a young man who signed scholarship papers at Alabama, but not an LOI, a letter of intent. And after, you know, he said he's going to, uh, he's got 10 schools, he's going to pick from one of them and sign in a couple of weeks. The first day you can sign, I think it might be the 13th. It is. He's, he's going to sign uh, with somebody. But he closed his remarks to the media today after winning Mr. Basketball by saying, in all likelihood, or most probably, I'll re-sign with Alabama as long as they get a great coach. Well, where do you draw the line on great coach? He told you and I in person after we watched him play in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game that if it was Greg Marshall, it would be Alabama. Uh, right. we, we noticed that entire week of practice that Dante Hall and B.A. Austin was recruiting him to come back to Alabama. We know that. You know, Archie Miller is considered at 36 years old to be a great young coach. I, I think that that would qualify. And, and Steve Prohm did recruit him at Murray. I'm not 100% sure that we would get days on back with Steve Prohm. I'm about maybe 75%. But I'm, a, I'm about 99% sure that if we hire Archie Miller, we get days on back. And I'm not saying he's based out on the hire. I'm just making an observation of a guy that's needed in this class. Here's the only way you get excited about Steve Prohm, and I'll tell you who I told this to yesterday. I got a phone call from a, a prospect's father who is very well known in the state of Alabama. And he is he is a, a big-time Mike Davis guy, and he he was wanting to know why Mike Davis wasn't more in the mix for a head coach. And obviously, Mike has been a head coach at three different institutions. But at Indiana, after a national championship appearance, it kind of went downhill. Did not go well at UAB. Um, it obviously has nothing to do with his skin color because Alderman had Anthony Grant for six years. I do think he does. He's had some issues with the way you saw how he handled himself at Indiana at times, Kerry. Uh, obviously, he, he's not the most, I don't think, polished guy. But I do think he's a really good recruiter. The only way... I would be excited about Steve Prohm is if you approach approach Prohm, because you, as you know, Kerry, his salary will not be in the stratosphere of what they offered Greg Marshall. No. But if you take some of that money and you talk to Mike Davis, who's not making big money at Texas Southern, it's a swag, Kerry. But if you tell Mike Davis you can come in and be the associate head coach here, if you and Prohm talk and you have chemistry and you think this could this could work, this is the situation we want to do. We want to pay you, you know, five hundred to six hundred thousand a year, make you one of the highest paid assistants in America, and make you the associate head coach with Prome being the, a young head coach that you can you can be his mentor and be a, the vet guy like Melvin Watkins at Arkansas. Uh, you know, like uh, I think there was a couple of them. Dave Leto, who now went back to DePaul, was on the Tulsa staff. You had, I, that's what I would do. I would bring Mike Davis in because. I, I was told by this person it would guarantee his son to Alabama if Mike Davis was either head coach or involved in the program. And uh, I was also told it would guarantee another big-time prospect that's in-state right now that's a junior, uh, a rising junior, 
and you would be able to – it would give you immediate juice in recruiting to, to go head up with Bruce Pearl and Ben Howland and all these other guys and Rick Barnes that have come into this league because Steve Prohm doesn't have the overall resume of those three guys. But if you bring in Mike Davis, who knows the state so well and made him associate head coach, you would be able to still control the state in recruiting. That's yeah, the only yeah. way I would be excited about if Steve Prohm were the head coach at Alabama. And I'm not disrespecting his coaching ability. I've been very impressed with his work at Murray State. But, again, he doesn't have the panache of, say, a Greg Marshall or an Archie Miller. Not at all. Uh, and I know the two young men you're, you're talking about that would uh, supposedly become instant Alabama commitments if Mike was on the staff. And the names rhyme with uh, Tosh Mankford and Ron Getty. But, uh you know, and that's that's fine. Uh, I, what evidence is there that that Mike would take a role like that? Who's been a head man so long? But I, that's what I'm saying. You would have to gauge Mike Mike Davis's interest. But it, it all goes back to money, Kerry. He made six hundred grand at UAB. Say you offer six hundred to seven hundred grand to come back home to Alabama to be associate head coach. There would be you would have to find out if he was comfortable sliding back to an assistant role and not being the head coach and, and, and wondering why I wasn't hired as head coach. But a significant financial offer like that, which is probably going to double what he's making at Texas Southern, would have to give him pause. And he was swag coach of the year. I'll give him credit. Yes. He beat he's Michigan State made. on the road, and yeah, he beat Kansas team. State. I mean, but I just don't think he's a fit to be the face of the program. No. But, if you, but if you had him as associate head coach, and you know, brought him back home to make him feel valuable and, and wanted in that in that regard to help a young coach. I mean, obviously, uh, at Texas Southern, he may think he's going to get another opportunity down the road uh, to be a head coach, but he could do the same thing if he helps turn Alabama's program around as associate head coach. Yeah, I just I just don't know if Mike is willing to do that, and I don't know if Steve Prohm would be comfortable with that. That, that. that would be something you would have to gauge both people when you're when you're trying to put the deal together. I don't have a problem with it if they're amenable to it, but I want to get, I want to, I want to get go guns blazing on Archie Miller before we get to that point. Of course, uh, or, but you know or what, whatever wild. My apologies. I was just gonna say, or whatever wild card may contact you. Yeah, wild cards are out there. Let me tell you one of the silliest things I heard. Oh that, Lord! And, and, it, and it, 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 it's along the lines of what you suggested. Although what you suggested makes twenty five times more sense than this. We actually. Before he went after Greg Marshall, we had some basketball boosters approach Bill Battle with the idea of hiring T.R. Dunn as the head coach, who has a whopping two years head coaching experience both in the WNBA and who had in his contract the two years he was in Tuscaloosa under Godfrey that he did not have to do any recruiting except on campus. Hiring him as head coach and bringing in Philip Pearson as associate head coach and grooming Philip to be the head coach down the road sometimes. Your idea with Proma Davis makes more sense, yeah. and, and I and I like Philip. I consider him a friend, and yeah. he's actually he's actually being flown to Arkansas Little Rock uh, tonight to be interviewed and possibly be granted that head coaching job, which would be a great move for Philip. Uh, if Philip goes to UALR and does a great job there, uh, and Alabama has a vacancy seven to ten years down the road, I would have no problem with Philip being our head coach after he's gotten his feet wet more than the three weeks he did when Godfrey got came. No Phillip, doubt. He's a great guy. He's a great recruiter. But but that, that T.R. Dunn head coach and Philip Associate makes less sense to me than, than your theory of Prohm and Mike Davis' associate. Now, all that being said, 
I really want to go guns blazing on Archie Miller before we make either of those movies. Well, I want to go guns blazing on him and maybe one or two others. <laughs> I think I agree with Jess Nicholas. I know you know him well as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he said today that, you know, prom needs to be about the third phone call, and I, I completely agree with him. Well, uh, Archie and then who before prom? Well, I, I would say somebody like who like I what? suggest. Like Chris, like Chris Black. I mean Chris Mack, pardon me. You know, it was interesting. We were interviewing Dazon after the uh, Alabama Mississippi game. One of the names he brought up that would interest him was uh, a guy that I like. He wouldn't be the top guy, but I like Michael White at La Tech. Uh, I, I can't sell that one. I think he's a good young coach, but the reason you can't sell him to the fan base, he's never even been to the NCAA tournament. Well, that makes a difference. But, you know, Prom's only been once. and he's in a, uh, Yeah, I agree. He's in a crap league, and he – he keeps losing in the league tournament, and he only made it once. And I think that one year he made it, I think he went 0-1. So, uh, not, not to say that, you know, Steve Prom might not could come to Tuscaloosa and, and win 24, 25 games a year. Maybe he could. We don't know. We may never know. But uh, I, I've got to say that we need to go guns a-blazing uh, before we, you know, for someone like – I mean, I, Archie Miller would – it would excite me almost as much as Marshall would have. I'm saying – you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, Marshall would have been a 10, and Archie, to me, would be about an 8 in excitement level. Really? Yes. I really like this young guy. Oh, yeah, he's hungry. I think uh, I like his coaching style. I like the toughness his teams play with. I like Chris Mack's toughness as well. And Chris Mack is still a young coach. And uh, I think both of them are guys that are making pretty good money, but nowhere near what Alabama could offer. It just would but, – but, again – I think Archie likes who he's working for, so you're going to have to be aggressive. And then with Chris Mack, uh, he's ingrained at Xavier, and Xavier is a good job. I mean, just about every – they have a a, a a miraculous track record for hires. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they do a great job. He's a good coach, and I, I would welcome him. It just would bother me for somebody to leave their alma mater. Like, really? I mean, <laughs> that would, to me, would sound like he was just after the But anyway, uh, I do think that uh, once the Final Four is over Monday night, I do think this process is is going to to kick back off in full force. Uh, but that being said, uh, we're going to swing the topic back to uh, to football, and we're going to welcome in uh, a very good friend of Bams Radio and a man who's been kind enough to have me on his podcast uh, several times, and it's always fun to talk to him. Uh, a broadcasting graduate from the prestigious Syracuse University. Welcome in from scout.com and battlemag.com, John Garcia. They tell me, John, that Garcia's got a new car. Yeah, well, I like to get my part of that check, you know. Not quite <laughs> not quite just yet. <laughs> well, John, it's good to hear from you, man. We know we hadn't talked in a while. Obviously, uh, the recruiting process is always ongoing, but for the Crimson Tide this year, it's a little bit – it's slowed down somewhat. They're being – it looks like more selective. But a lot of young men are, as uh, far are been visiting practice and uh, coming in on unofficial visits. Yeah, absolutely, and you hit the nail right on the head. Being selective, and I think that's always the case, but it seems like this year even more so. I know, right? The question I get asked the most is, you know, why only four commits or five commits? You know, if you look on scouts, as we consider Christian Bell at, at least today a 2016 commitment because of the gray shirt. Um, but either way, a low number compared to last year and years past. And obviously, you look at the rankings on any site, and you don't see Alabama near the top. So you kind of naturally say, "What is going on?" 
I think a lot of it has to do with, with the culture of recruiting now. Uh, I think the flip game, you know, the fact that Alabama always has four, five, six guys who commit early that don't end up in the class, I think all of that stuff is starting to, I don't want to say catch up to Alabama, but I think it makes them more aware of who they, who they get early in the process. I know in speaking to several sources and even high school coaches, that there's been, you know, the question of complacency with certain guys that have committed early over the last couple of seasons, whether it be on the field or even academically. We've seen just a lot of um, sort of bizarre scenarios with with kids committing early and sticking with Alabama or otherwise. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. It's almost like, you know, be a top target and have the scholarship offer, but we're not going to go all in until X, Y, Z happens. We see this on the field, you know, just being more selective, almost taking an Oregon-like approach. Oregon's done that pretty much every year. That's why you don't see kids flipping to or even from Oregon. They always wait until the summertime, closer to the fall, to really start cranking it up. And it looks like Alabama's closer to that. I don't think they're going to do that all the way, but I think uh, the number's going to be limited until that point, maybe even under 10 uh, until that late summer, early fall time. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, exactly what those kids think and, and how they pick it up and when they decide to really – you know, hit the gas with it. John, uh, there has been a lot of movement in the last two or three weeks regarding Bama offers. I don't know if they're all committable. Some of them maybe can't. And Bama visits. (laughs) Uh, So just talk about some of the new names that have emerged in in both the class of 16 and the class of 17 regarding Alabama just in the last two or three weeks. Yeah, absolutely, Kerry. Obviously, Alabama ramping up spring practice always draws in, you know, quite the visitor crowd. Uh, and with that has come scholarship offers and, of course, you know, uh, return visitors even. So I think uh, in 16, of course, you know, keeping it, you know, thinking out of state because in state, obviously, those kids, you know, are able to, to get there kind of whenever they need to. And Alabama knows where they stand and vice versa with a lot of those guys. So they don't expect a ton of movement with them in terms of new offers and um you know, surprising visits. Um, but out of state, 2016 has got some very interesting names to keep an eye on that are closer to a decision than maybe people realize. You know, down in Florida, a receiver like Darnell Solomon, this kid's been high on Alabama for quite some time. We all know what Mario Cristobal does in that area, um, and obviously Amari Cooper's influence in that area. This is a Miami Central kid, uh, a school Alabama has, has been busy at regardless of the year with offers and interest. Um, and he's talking about making a decision before his senior year does begin. Right now, A-Day is his next scheduled visit, so I would keep an eye on that, you know, in case he's really ready to accelerate the process. And we all know A-Day last year brought in Calvin Ridley, Sean Burgess Becker from that South Florida area, of course, as well as Mika Fitzpatrick and Leo Lewis. Leo Lewis obviously signing with Mississippi State after committing to Ole Miss at one point, but that's a different story. So I'll keep an eye on him on the wide receiver front. I think on the linebacker front, um, very interesting uh, in the D.C. area, always talented, always an area that schools like to dip into if they can here and there. Two guys, really, one on each side of the football, one visiting today in Trevon Diggs, the younger brother of Stephon Diggs, of course, uh, the electric Maryland receiver who's, who's you know getting ready to go to the NFL draft. I believe their pro day was today. So interesting that you know, not only is Trevon not there to support his brother in person, but the reason is because he's visiting Alabama. That's how high the kid has been on the Crimson Tide. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter or, or follow anybody who follows kids on Twitter, you've seen Trevon Diggs being very public 
about UA. He does not declare the tide as his leader, um, but in multiple interviews with me, with my colleagues, he's kind of almost accidentally said Alabama was number one or I would like to be a part of that program or it's my favorite program without declaring Alabama as the favorite for his commitment. So certainly a lot of movement there um, with Trevon Diggs. Now his decision timetable, depending on when you talk to him, could kind of change. Um, but again, pushing up a visit uh, to get to Tuscaloosa today while his brother is, is you know, pursuing his dream at Maryland's Pro Day, I think is pretty telling on the kind of interest that Alabama um, has garnered from him. And obviously on the field, you know, he's just about as important a recruit as his brother. A little different, though. I think people get that a little misconstrued. You know, Stefan was sort of the almost a Tavon Austin type, smaller, shiftier, kick return, bubble screen type of guy. Uh, Trevon is 6'1", 190. He's more of that sort of classic wide receiver build, almost like a Dalen Charlotte uh, type of body uh, for comparison, uh, of course, the 2014 signing. So I keep an eye on Trevon, of course, visiting right now, wrapping that up after spring practice today. So we'll look forward to, to catching up with him some point tonight or tomorrow going forward. And then the third name I would keep an eye on, again, among out-of-state guys, is Jaquan Yuli. He's the number one inside linebacker in the country right now on scout.com and has been very high on Alabama since taking his first visit recently. He was actually in on uh, excuse me on campus in March uh, and has already scheduled a return visit. You know, you don't see that a lot from the D.C. area kids. Well, he's already decided he's coming back in a matter of weeks, and in fact, he'll be back for A-Day, just like Darnell Solomon will. So it looks like A-Day, uh, as usual, ramping up to be a big-time visit sort of spectacle for recruits, including kids from far away that had already recently been on campus. So I, I think it, again, just further illustrates the point that Alabama's first impression is a heck of a first impression for a lot of kids who aren't as familiar with the Tide. So those are the three big in-state names to keep around that could pop soon or somewhat soon. Of course, there are plenty of other names in general. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback, also from the D.C. area. Trey Lamar, linebacker from Georgia. I mean, the list really goes on and on. Jeff Simmons, a defensive end from Mississippi who visited yesterday in 2016. Early 2017 names to keep an eye on right now. Uh, most of them are in-state. Again, it's early, but if I am going out of state, I would keep an eye on D'Angelo Gibbs and Jaden Hunter, both from Georgia, both extremely high on Alabama, and both have already made multiple visits for spring practice, and you guys know how early Alabama is in that spring practice schedule. So I think that says a lot about their feelings for Alabama, and Hunter has named Alabama his leader, while Gibbs, who is actually a five-star athlete, is he a receiver, is he a DB, we're not sure yet, uh, but he has said he is most comfortable today at Alabama, which is, again, a big-time win early on uh, in the pursuit of 2017 guys uh, for the Crimson Tide. So uh, things are looking very positive for a lot uh, of prospects, although it's not necessarily tangible with the list of commitments at this point. Uh, so, again, as I said earlier, I think it, you should expect it to pick up closer to A-Day and certainly into the summer. Well, and John, speaking of that, obviously they've already got a commitment from T.J. Simmons. I, I, I would expect them to take two to three receivers because they're not slated to lose a lot of guys uh, after this season. Uh, do you think this early they would take Diggs? And uh, obviously, I know I think I've heard Solomon's their top guy, but do you think they would take those two guys this early and then be done with the position? Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Uh, and then you've got Demetrius Robertson as well on the commitment list. You right, know, he could be a receiver, guy. yes. Yeah, so, I mean, clearly receiver's a big need. We all know what Alabama lost this past year. They brought in two 
um, in 2015 with, with Calvin Ridley and Dalen Charlotte, both you know slated to begin uh, their Alabama careers in May, uh, and they certainly have high expectations. But Alabama just lost so much on that front, uh, and there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I think Alabama's being very um, precautious with how they're attacking the wide receiver position. Basically, a more the merrier scenario. Because uh, if you think of uh, playing devil's advocate on the other side of it, you know, what if Chris Black explodes and has this amazing, you know, breakout junior season and goes for, you know, I don't know, 950 yards and eight touchdowns, you know, he, he might want to test the NFL waters like we've seen a lot of Alabama players do and not necessarily always the ones we expect, you know, to break out uh, like Blake Sims a season ago. So I would say that Alabama's being very cautious at the position there's not a lot of proven commodities in that receiver group right now so bringing in more talent certainly a priority like you said uh drew i think two to three is, is almost the base number of wide receivers i've heard upwards of four if you do include demetrius robertson so um clearly one of them would be a take i think solomon is a little closer to actually making that decision i think that visit to tuscaloosa might just be more of a validation as to where Diggs has been recently, and it's sort of a return visit, certainly high on Alabama, but because of his brother's ties to Maryland, because of really the outreach of, of his recruitment, he is a, a true national recruit. I think while he might want to think about pulling the trigger even today or even as we speak, I think the people in his camp will sort of slow him down naturally as to where Solomon's, I think, would be completely cool with him shutting things down on April 18th. So I think they both would eventually be takes, but I think Alabama knows they're both not at the same level of readiness, if that makes sense, at the wide receiver position. But the good thing for the Tide, you know, is that they're all different, all four guys. Robertson, um, a a vertical threat, extremely athletic, uh, a very high ceiling type of guy. Diggs has the shiftiness maybe that his brother has, but in a bigger body. So you expect him more of an inside, you know, type, um, Solomon, a big-bodied 6'3 type of kid, so that you're sort of traditional outside guy. And then T.J. Simmons, a great possession receiver uh, that is underrated, in my opinion, very physical with the football in his hands. He's going to be um, sort of that front guy. I know a lot of people have compared him to Kevin Norwood, including Kerry. Uh, and I think the more I think about it, I'm, I'm leaning a little closer to that, uh, although I think he does have a little more uh, explosiveness uh, than maybe he's given credit for. So the good thing for Alabama versatility as a position, bringing in guys who could do multiple things. And, and as you said, Robertson could almost end up as a defensive back if he wants to. He's that good, he's that skilled, uh, and that highly coveted by a lot of people. But I think, as you guys know, the bigger story with him will be if, if Alabama can hold on to him. Uh, no doubt. And I, I'm sorry, Kerry. I just want to have uh, to, to make one more point for the listeners and let Kerry answer his, ask his question. But I wanted to, to, to confirm. Now, Solomon, he transferred for – from Hialeah Champagnat High School to Miami Central recently, right? Correct. Yep, yep, correct. Okay. Um, yes. Miami Champagnat, sure. their coach Their coach left. A lot of their players yes. left. Okay. Uh, a lot of big-name players have left. Remember Devonair Clarington, a tight end a year ago, transferred yes. the year before, and now Solomon. So that's kind of a, just a programming transition down there. And, and in South Florida, that culture has become a transfer culture. We're seeing it in Alabama a little bit more now, too, but it's sort of a let's team up with my buddies kind of thing. You're, you're seeing that everywhere, and I think Miami's always had that element, and I think, you know, Champagnat's just one of those where there's more exoduses uh, than anything else. Hey, John, in that excellent summary you just gave, one name that didn't even pop up that I still think has a great chance to be in this class at receiver is young Kevin Ridley. Exactly. You know, in South Florida alone, Kerry, I think you could you could almost say, 
let's just take three or four from here and we'll be okay. You know, Darnell Solomon, <laughs> Calvin Ridley, as you said, the younger brother of Calvin Ridley and bigger. You know, his coach told me he's a bigger, stronger version of Calvin. How scary could that be? Obviously, it's his coach. He might be hyping him up a little bit, but even at the potential – just a crazy thought. There's guys like Benjamin Victor down there, a big, vertical, long, six foot four, six foot five, deep threat uh, in South Florida. It's just a great year for wide receivers. Sam Bruce, you know, the nephew of Isaac Bruce, a Miami wow. commitment, another one high on Alabama's list. Uh, he has been for some time. Is, is committed to Miami. Florida's in there somewhere as well, but Alabama has not slowed down. So the South Florida area is always loaded but it is so receiver-heavy in 2016. It's kind of crazy, and all these kids have had Alabama offers for like a year already. So the receiver list and the receiver numbers that finally come in, whoever those final names are, uh, is going to be really intriguing in 2016 because there's so many good options. A lot of teams are going to luck out because there's just so much talent in that area at that one position. Uh, it'll be good for the big three in Florida, which uh, a lot of them can use good news at this time. John, I wanted to ask you, there's a picture going around Twitter tonight uh, from a, uh, I guess it's a group of personal trainers called Tough Training. Uh, Zach Rayner, I guess it's the guy's name. And it's a before and after picture of, of Calvin Ridley, who's just been on his plan for six months. And uh, Calvin Ridley, who will report around May 24th, he is putting on some muscle. I don't know who Zach Raymond is or much about Tough Training, but if you look at these before and after photos of, of Calvin, the older, uh, the guy is really getting ready to report to D1 football. That's, that's again, a scary thought because all all of his strengths are, are very glaring and very easy to see, but the biggest glaring weakness is his body. Can he absorb SEC linebackers and defensive backs? I, mean, I, I don't know if many of us could, but that's certainly a question mark with him. So if he is adding that weight at this time before he even gets to Tuscaloosa and gets into Scott Carson's program, I think that's a, about as good of a scenario as Alabama could have had with that wide receiver group because Charlotte is already that type of kid. He's already in that 190 to 200-pound range. So it really can get closer to that and maintain all of his explosiveness and sort of that glide nature that he has with his hands and route running. Pretty scary, uh, the group that's coming in for Alabama. Although it's a small group, those guys will definitely challenge for some kind of playing time, especially in light of the unfortunate news surrounding Cam Sims with his ACL. John, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this uh, because every time you come on the show, I have to ask you, but regarding the next class or two, uh, who are some of the guys standing out both at true, and I mean true, left tackle and inline tight end? Oh, inline tight end, there's, there's no there's no tier there. It's Caden Smith and everybody else in 2016. He's a kid from Texas, a longtime Alabama target, a guy who um, – has said Alabama's been recruiting him the hardest. You know, UA's made no mistake about him, versatile type. Uh, I think Isaac Nauta was, you know, in that same class. But, you know, he's committed to Florida State, moved from Buford, Georgia, to IMG Academy, which, you know, he was under Chris Winkie. And now they're campaigning for E.G. Green, another former FSU player, to be the head coach there. So that's going to be a tough pull. So everything is really sort of gone all into Caden Smith. He is that in-line tight end that Alabama has been looking for. That's a very good receiver and athletic as well. I think at one of the camps recently he set, he broke Odell Beckham's one-handed catch record. So that's the kind of athlete he is on top of him being a big old Texas tight end, which I think is something Alabama fans would welcome. And then a left tackle, another intriguing race, um, like we talked about with wide receiver. A lot of names here and a lot of movement within those names, I think, 
four or five weeks ago, I would have said it's Willie Allen and everybody else just based on how Alabama prioritized him early on. But a lot of things have changed with not Alabama's staff on Willie, but maybe Willie's staff. You know, he admitted that Alabama was his leader to me for several months, maybe almost six months ago until about a month ago. And he said, no, he's back open. Ole Miss is now very confident. LSU, of course, confident. He's in New Orleans. You know, John Curtis, Christian kid, same school as Malachi Dupree. Uh, from a couple of years ago. So LSU is always going to be confident with that. So Alabama has a bit of an uphill battle uh, with him. But there's there's some other names emerging, and there's some junior college names emerging as well. I think Alabama is not going to basically let what happened a season ago happen in 2016, even if it has to go the JUCO route. And it's to the point where I think the last four of the last five offensive tackle offers have all been to junior college left tackle prospects, including – guys committed to other schools, but among them, the one to keep the closest eye on, uh, in my opinion, is Charles Baldwin, this kid from AFA Academy in New York City, of course, the same school that produced Leon Brown, but his coach told me that he's way better than Leon Brown. He's an NFL guy, and, you know, Leon, say what you want about him, he started two years at Alabama, and I think a lot of people would have been maybe surprised by that, you know, the day he committed to the Crimson Tide, so if this kid is, is that much better than him uh, as that true left tackle prospect. He could be the answer short-term and possibly even long-term with a red shirt, depending on what happens with Cam Robinson. He really could um, really change the pace, uh, the pacing and the space in between Alabama's current situation and future situation. He could almost bridge the gap, if you will, like people thought Jake Coker was going to team sub, uh, you know, A.J. McCarron to, to a Blake Barnett at the quarterback position. So I think he's a name that people aren't talking about enough because it's not sexy to talk about Juco guys, but with Alabama's trends of offers, I think those guys need to be talked about a little bit more uh, because the Willie Allen's of the world have more competition. They have more uh, fluidity within their recruitment. Uh, and he even said it, Alabama's not a leader anymore. So I think Juco has just as good a shot to fill that need as an offensive tackle from the high school rankings. But Alabama's still aggressive otherwise. You know, there's some guys committed elsewhere that Alabama is high on as well. So we'll see, you know, that, that old foot game we always talk about, we'll see if they make some progress uh, with that department. I know Greg Little is the number one tackle in the country. He has talked about visiting Alabama despite a long-time commitment to Texas A&M. He's from Texas. His quarterback from high school is Kyler Murray. He's committed to Texas A&M. Would be an amazing flip for the Crimson Tide. Maybe the most uh, unlikely in the history of, you know, of Nick Saban uh, in terms of flipping People will need to be reminded Rashawn Evans was not a flip. It was just a commitment. Um, but I think Greg Little's interest in Alabama is certainly intriguing enough to keep an eye on. Well, and John, a guy that I really like, and I know you have excellent contacts down there in, in South Alabama, but I watched him in the Super 7. And his brother, of course, is at Alabama, and it took him a while to sign off on Joshua Casher. But I love Darius Whitfield. I love his quickness. I think he'd be an excellent guard. I know he's not as big, much like his brother, as – certain uh, prospects, but I just really liked what I saw when they won the state championship. Uh, and, I, I, of course, I think his brother is going to be a future starter at Alabama. What, what, are, your, what are your hearing as far as Alabama's? I know they've, you know they've been recruiting him, but do you think – I know they're I, – I, I would imagine they're only going to take a couple of interior players, but do you see him having a good chance to be in the class? I think he will – yeah, I think that, that golden ticket, you know, if you will, will be extended eventually. But this is the thing with him that I didn't anticipate. Um, the kid wants to play defensive end. I think that's wow, what okay. could be part of the hiccup with Alabama. You know, 
LSU, Georgia, Florida State, a lot of these schools have come in and said, you know, you're a, a, a nice weak side defensive end in a 4-3, which obviously Alabama doesn't run typically. Um, and he's sort of bought into it, you know. He likes the idea of coming off the edge on the backside. Now, of course, his body's going to have a lot to say about that in the next year um, at St. Paul's. He does a little bit of everything, so that really almost cancels itself out. So he's, he's going into defensive end right now, but again, it's right now. He's nowhere close to making a decision, nowhere close to narrowing things down. Yes, Josh Casher is recruiting his tail off because he's big brother, uh, and that means you know, he'll be on campus uh, a plenty. That won't be an issue. I think it'll be more of a where is your best position? Not only where he feels it, but where evaluators feel is his best position. Right now, a projected guard on scouts.com. That, that could change to not only defensive end, maybe even defensive tackle if he continues to add weight. You know, quickness is a big asset of his. So uh, there's a lot to like about him as a prospect in general. He's one of those that you get on campus and you figure it out if you can. But I think his position preference will be a big factor in his recruitment because he's really buying into the defensive end thing today, and obviously today is early April, so there's a long way to go here, almost a year before he signs, um, but if he has anything to say about it, I think it'll, it'll sort of string out longer than other people think uh, because of that position. I think he wants to do that as of right now. So we'll, see. we'll see what changes his mind, if his mind changes at all, and, and how his body changes is a big factor within that, but he's definitely one I'll keep an eye on. Yeah, like you said, great at the Super 7, great junior season, really good sophomore season, too, uh, and that's really what we liked him as a guard. But I think uh, there's, there's a lot of leeway there, not only with him, but even with us looking at him, where he's going to play uh, at the next level. No doubt. And, and finally, the last one, I wanted to ask about a young man who's recently visited practice. I know Nick Saban's very high on him, but he, he transferred to Park Crossing in Montgomery. Uh, and there's a lot of good linebackers in the state of Alabama, But and I know there's been some mention of him at safety. What is your opinion of P.J. Blue? This, this is another one. It's almost the same thing. You know, I was I was talking to him, uh, I think, yesterday, and he said Kirby Smart is, is thinking about changing their whole position for him as safety in terms of on their board. So I think um, he could be like a D. Smith uh, this year. For those who don't know, D. Smith out of Florence yeah. High School, kind of an unknown prospect, and he exploded as a senior when he moved to free safety, just size, speed, instinct, the whole nine yards. Ended up as a top five player in Alabama, signed with Louisville, who, who was smart. Uh, to get in early with him, I think he could be like that. You know, PJ has talked to me just even not even doing the story a bunch over the last two years about trying to gain weight. He's stuck in that sort of 190 to 195, just under 200 range. You know, he can't really bulk up as much as he wants to. But playing at Jemison High School, he played. He had to play linebacker. He had to play running back and wide receiver and all this stuff. Well, transfers to Park Crossing. He's going to be playing next to Jay Juan Taylor, who's my top three safety in the state. So literally they have the two, top two safeties in the state going into the fall. So I think it'll be interesting to see how P.J. adjusts to playing that solely. And I think that's what a lot of schools are waiting for, including Auburn, which haven't yet offered, which has been one of the biggest surprises, I think, it, with the in-state kids uh, in 2016. You know, Auburn took a long time to offer Ben Davis, which is a no-brainer offer for a lot of schools. Uh, and they're doing the same thing with P.J. Blue, although Alabama took its time as well. So. I think Auburn has a chance to snag him if they do offer, but that position, again, are they going to want him as, as a pass rusher or are they going to want him as a star? And then, you know, once P.J. is actually playing some free safety, does he like it? Does he envision himself at that position at the next level? And then what kind of safety will he be on top of all that? He's a physical, athletic kid, so you could see him as a ball hawk type 
or the physical type, like Rashawn Darius Jennings, who we just got his Alabama offer as well, younger brother of Anthony Jennings. So he, he and Whitfield, and it's funny you brought those two up. The two guys I'm, I'm locked in on the most in the state in terms of their position, in terms of their body, how they adjust as seniors. And I think Alabama is just as locked in on both of those guys. I would imagine neither is a take today because of that ongoing evaluation. Well, that's great stuff, John, as always. And we appreciate you for joining us, man. We hope to have, we're definitely going to be speaking to you in the near future. But we really appreciate you giving you insight. And you always have the, the pulse of Alabama recruiting for Scout.com, man. Thanks for joining BAMS tonight. Thank you, guys. Thank always you, John. Talk about Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll leave you with a funny story, John. I was at a batting cage the other day, recruited a girl for my co ed softball team, came to find out the first night of the season. Well, we're out of here. Bams Radio, roll tide. Roll tide. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.